The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It is the APC podcast here at acmepackingcompany.com, part of SB Nation, the Packers defeat the Atlanta Falcons 34 to 20 ushering in the Joe Philbin era however short it may turn out to be i am uh, Zach Rapport at Zach Rapport on twitter joined by Ben Foldy howdy howdy no alex patakis today um but we are thrilled uh, to have our our third man on the show we promised him that we would get him on after a win because every time we have him on it is following a loss and it is always an airing of grievances this time not so much and wouldn't you know it it happens to be one of the more interesting sort of post-game conversations that we could be having this year ben fennel is our guest at ben fennel underscore nfl does film crunching for the athletic you know him you love him ben welcome it's always a pleasure to join you guys and it's a little bit uh, against our style here to talk after a win, but we'll we'll see what we can come up with. Yeah, not only is it uh, after a win, but we're going to include you here on our on our normal show. And the first thing that we we like to do here after a little of a uh, little bit of banter is uh, our notable nuggets. So notable nugget uh, to clue you in hashtag note nug is uh, just a, a little a little takeaway from from last week's game. And uh, Ben Foldy, do you have a notable nugget? It's it's a large nugget, but uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to Tyler Lancaster for coming in and uh, performing, you know, fine, which is about all I expect from an undrafted free agent defensive lineman most of the time. And so, I mean, I think, and I guess the extension of that nugget is that there is a kind of curious anti-Petten sentiment in certain corners of the Twitter sphere, and I just don't really understand it at all because I think that he's he's kind of making magic out of incredibly spare parts like people i have not heard of that have been on the packers for all of you know a month and a half i can confirm i did get a a text from from uh our host alex patakis at some point earlier in the year that said what is a tyler lancaster (laughs) it does it does sound like a game of thrones thing i haven't seen those pet and criticisms on twitter but if i know twitter if you get deep enough you'll find people criticizing just about anything from sunshine to puppies to free money, so that doesn't uh, surprise me in the least. That's true. I guess. I guess what's been shocking is that it, it seems that the anti-Petten uh, wing of Packers Twitter, at least, has been somewhat headed up by Justice Mosqueda, who I do tend to respect and appreciate on almost all issues, and maybe even this one. I haven't dug that deep into his takes, but 
Well, he's a big metrics wonk. He's a big DVOA oh, yeah, fan. Yeah. And so I think that there are some some of those metric measures by which the Packers defense maybe is not measuring up. I think they're around like 23rd in DVOA last week, but that might have gone up actually after the Atlanta game. Ben Fennell, do you have any comment on Tyler Lancaster? <laughs> You know, actually, I've dedicated a section to him in my uh, athletic article this Ooh. week. I thought he looked really good. He's obviously had an uptick in snaps uh, as the defensive tackles have been depleted. And Mike Daniels has been out, played 22 snaps, which is a manageable workload. And I thought he looked really stout against the run, really stout at the point of attack, was able to shed a few blocks and showed some nice things and flashes. It's definitely a, a nice project player to kind of continue developing. I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will go next with my notable nugget, and uh, I just wanted to shout out the the offensive line, the makeshift offensive line, with I think three out of five starters down. I did not have high hopes coming into this game, and 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 sure, there were moments where Rodgers was running scared a little bit, but uh, for the most part, I think that they they really held their own. They played together. The run blocking I thought was was really good, and and I thought that the that the way that they banded together was indicative of the way that I thought the rest of the team banded together under uh, under Joe Philbin here coming in um, in interim head coaching duty. So I just wanted to shout out the offensive line. I thought it was sort of a microcosm of of the the teamwork I saw throughout the rest of the the team. It also begs the question: is is Byron Bell not playing addition by subtraction at this point? I kind of like, think so. I I don't I, not moving on from him. A while ago, maybe one of the worst decisions that has been made this season. Yeah. Ben Fennell, uh, what is your notable nugget? So my notable nugget, which I uh, just mentioned on Twitter a little bit ago, and just noticing that the Packers had nine healthy defensive backs at their disposal this game, which hasn't been the trend through the meat of the season. They've been plagued by injuries. There's been this revolving door of comings and goings, guys being signed off the street, guys being cut. But now we're back to a fully functioning defensive back group, and that's what Mike Pettin wants. He wants to load up with six and even seven defensive backs on the field, because that's really the strength of the Packers. And they played six-plus defensive backs. That's either dime or dollar, which is seven defensive backs, 90% of the snaps against Atlanta. And I know it's a sub-package NFL, and everyone likes multiple receiver sets, and you want to get those nickels on the field, but 90% for six-plus defensive backs is wildly high for any defense in any scenario. But if that's the strength of this Packers defense, Mike Patton wants to get those athletic defensive backs on the field and the more speed and coverage options to have on the back end. It really, you know, flusters uh, offenses from pushing the ball down the field. Were there any uh, sort of bench players or, or role players that you thought uh, stood out in that group? I thought Josh Jones did a couple nice things in settling back into that dime linebacker role, kind of playing in the box. Obviously, Brashad Breland's pick was a very nice interception uh, off a pressure package, forcing a quick throw from Matt Ryan. Uh, Josh Jackson still had a couple struggles. I know he had a nice PBU over the middle of the field, but he's still grabbing and holding way too often at the top of routes. And Jair Alexander, you know, he's been our starting corner. It was kind of a learning experience for him, you know, traveling Julio Jones and taking some lumps in man coverage. But I think that'll make him a better player in his development. And what we see on a down-to-down basis from Jair Alexander is his physicality, his willingness to tackle, his willingness to come up and run support. And anytime you can have those type of players at the cornerback position, that's going to make your defense better. So that's something I'm seeing every week from Jair, and it's really exciting to uh, to build off of. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Bashad Breland, and I kind of tweeted out during the game that he has to be a, a priority free agent uh, re- reacquisition here to, to sort of lock him up. Do you agree with that? What have you seen out of him and his limited availability? 
Yeah, he's looked really good. He's an experienced corner. He had a strange offseason in that he was a free agent corner that was being coveted by a certain number of teams and then failed the physical. I'm not sure who it was. I think it was Indianapolis Colts or somebody he failed the physical with. I think he Panthers. was on the Colts and then, yeah, and then the, the Panthers. Panthers. Yeah, but I've seen him for the last couple of years as I've worked for the Philadelphia Eagles and he was down in Washington. And he's a big physical corner with good ball skills. He's just struggled to kind of turn and run and keep up with the speedy receivers either vertically or the change of direction guys but he's an experienced guy he's got ball skills he's a physical big upright corner and you know I think he's a nice compliment to Jair Alexander on the other side I think Josh Jackson's kind of a project right now that you can't really trust to be a pillar at corner down the road and Kevin King hasn't proven he could stay healthy for consecutive weeks so I think Rashad Breland's probably a primary guy to try to keep at the right price yeah speaking of Keeping at the right price. I mean, I think by and large, you know, we're we're into a question of you know who's going to be here next season, and uh, what are you thinking on the on the coaching side of the ball? Well, I guess that's not a side of the ball. I think think Mike Pettin has deserved every right to stay as the defensive coordinator of the Packers, and the criticism he's received, I don't just I don't find it justifying because. They're getting the defense off the field. They've increased their three and out rate. They're obviously leading the NFL in sacks. They're leading the NFL in third down sacks. His third down pressure defense is one of the best in the NFL. Not to mention it's his first year on the job, dealing with a lot of rookies on the back end, Josh Jackson, Jair Alexander, a lot of players that aren't familiar with his team, whether it's Tremont Williams or some other guys off the street he's had to work with. A lot of injuries. You have Mo Wilkerson as a pillar to start the year, and all of a sudden he's not there anymore. So there's been a lot of interchanging parts, whether it's safety or Antonio Morrison at linebacker. That's tough for a defensive coordinator that that implements a rather confusing and deep scheme to for everyone to be on the same page. And this is a similar scheme that Dom Capers ran for several years in Green Bay. And what was our main criticism? Coverage bust, confusion, players not in the right spot. So that's where I think Dom, uh, excuse me, Mike Penn has done a great job with his coaching. We haven't seen those coverage busts. We haven't seen those confusions on the back end. We haven't seen two corners covering one guy and somebody streaking free, especially with all the moving parts on his defense. I think he's done a great job. And just the fact we haven't seen those blunders and we've really made teams work in you know, established drives to get down the field. That's a great recipe for a defense, but I know a head coach is going to want to come in and bring in his own staff. So if they allow a head coach to come in, and, you know, fill up the building with his guys, Mike Pettin uh, might be elsewhere. Yeah, speaking of, of head coach, I, I joked a little bit earlier about ushering in the Joe Philbin era. I don't think he's a legitimate head coaching candidate, but the Packers score 34 straight points in, in this game against the Falcons. They, they come out looking like a, a team ready to play for this coach. Is it just a dead cat bounce, or was, did you see something different in the way that, uh, the way that Joe Philbin ran this team? I didn't see a whole lot different. Obviously, Philbin's been there this year, and it's the same offense. You know, maybe he met with Rodgers. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Or some coaches just to maybe ask some different questions or see what are some plays you would rather run or some different looks. Um, But a lot of it was the same concepts we've seen, whether it was the post-wheel touchdown to Randall Cobb, which we've seen all season, seen it last year, the year before. Whether it's a cross-country dagger to Devontae Adams over the middle, a concept we've seen throughout the entire year. What I saw was just a more confident and decisive Aaron Rodgers. And this guy has the keys to the castle. Aaron Rodgers runs this offense. It doesn't matter how creative the plays are. 
if Aaron Rodgers doesn't execute the plays and get the ball out and make the right read, the play caller is going to get criticized. Team is going to get criticized. So I just saw a different Aaron Rodgers. I saw a deliberate Aaron Rodgers. I saw Aaron Rodgers that trusted his receiving options. I saw him throw the ball to Jimmy Graham before he turned his head around. That's the quarterback doing his job and expecting other people to do their job. So I just saw a much greater trust from the quarterback position. What do you attribute that, <laughs> that to? I guess, are you... I mean, it could be a couple things. It could be the, the self-scouting. Yeah, it could be the self-scouting of Aaron Rodgers to say, I need to play better and I'm looking at the film and I didn't do it. Or you could be looking at, hey, I have three backup offensive linemen up here. I'm not sitting back in the pocket all day. I'm getting this ball out, and that better that receiver better hit that break where I need him to because that ball is going to be there. So it could be a combination of things. Back to the coaching candidate, Carousel. I know that uh, uh, someone you're a big fan of was let go by the Minnesota Vikings today and John DeFilippo, and, and does that still seem like a fit to you? I'm a big fan of DeFilippo. I know him personally. He's a really good guy. I like his coaching style. I like his personality. I think he was kind of a scapegoat up in Minnesota. This has been a bit of an outlier year with Mike Zimmer's defense. Their defense is getting shredded week in and week out, and the offense doesn't seem to be able to keep up, not to mention the inconsistent play of Kirk Cousins. Yeah. And just like we're talking about Aaron Rodgers' inability to execute the scheme, and then Mike McCarthy gets criticized, Kirk Cousins had some wide-open receivers last week as well. But John Filippo is the one that gets the ax on, on Monday morning or Tuesday, whenever it was. Mm-hmm. So uh, the quarterback has the keys to the castle and can make those offenses look really good or really archaic. And, you know, if Kirk Cousins isn't performing, people are going to point the finger at the play caller. And, yeah, was, are there some situations for the play caller to improve? Can you go under center and short yardage in certain situations and things like that? Absolutely. But I thought it was a little bit harsh, and I thought he kind of took the fall for the lack of success among the entire organization. I think he's still a very good play caller and could be a very good coach down the road. And do you see like similarities in Packers personnel or kind of uh, identity, I guess, that, that would lend itself to the kind of success that John DeFilippo had in, in, in Philadelphia? See, I'm not really sure because Aaron Rodgers is, you know, a veteran. He's one of the best throwers of the football NFL history, potentially the best quarterback. So John DeFilippo coming in and working with a Carson Wentz, Wentz was a young, he was a rookie. He was moldable. He had to learn. He had to adapt. I feel like he had much more influence over the young quarterback as opposed he would with Aaron Rodgers. And then it's also the other catch. Aaron Rodgers is 35 years old. Should you get a coach for Aaron Rodgers or should you get the right coach for the team? So that's kind of the uh, philosophical challenge the Packers will have in saying, are we preparing in getting somebody to appease Aaron Rodgers that Aaron Rodgers wants to work with that this coach wants to work with Rodgers? Are we getting the right guy for the organization in the team fit? And, you know, uh, we'll obviously figure that out down the road. Uh, Andrew Brandt wrote a piece recently for, for SI. And one of the things that he said was that he thought that there were a number of reasons that Murphy and Gutekunst made the decision to fire Mike McCarthy before the end of the season. And none of them were the reasons that, that they actually said publicly. And, and one of the reasons that, that he sort of postulates in the, in the piece is that they wanted to give the players input and they only have the players input during the season. So as soon as the season is over, that parking lot is empty and they're out of there. Do you think there's any truth to that? I don't know. So given the player's input, I mean, did he come in Sunday night and take a survey on who wants them staying and who wants them going? Right. So like, 
I'm not really sure. Obviously, they have a leadership council they can meet with and, and lean towards. So I'm not really sure. It would be strange to not seek out the input of at least the leadership council of the team and the captains of the team when you're making such a large move like that, or to at least brace them for saying, hey, we may have a change on our hands. Be prepared. Um, it would be tough to just drop the hammer in your first year as GM to say, coach of nine, 10 years, Super Bowl winner before the season, it's my call and you're out of here. Um, it had to be some sort of a group think effort. I think, I think actually what I think what Brandt was getting at was that kind of involving the players more in a forward looking process um, and kind of getting their input on, on potential candidates. Oh, well, that's an interesting concept as well. And obviously that should be the trend of the NFL. You do want you know, your players to be happy with the hires. You don't want that confrontation right off the bat. You want all the relationships to mend well right off the bat. So it would be, you know, advantageous to at least consider your players' thoughts and opinions on who you're going to hire next. Yeah. And, and, we, and, and we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about, about whether or not you kind of, how and, how and why and the parameters in which you include Aaron Rodgers and, and where, you know, I think, looking at Favre as a precedent on how to kind of uh, deal with a potentially larger-than-the-team player in the twilight years of his career and and just kind of what do Packers brass have to have in place to kind of prevent a player from, you know, not necessarily... Sometimes I'm not convinced that what's good for Aaron Rodgers is necessarily the best for the Packers and and not for any fault of Aaron Rodgers. Like, it's almost... I almost see it as a protecting him from himself kind of kind of pattern. And we've been talking about that for weeks, so I don't know if there's like we won't know the answer to that until you know names are given out and we go back to the Kremlinology of trying to read Aaron Rodgers' press conferences about how he feels about so and so. It's very cryptic, and Aaron Rodgers, I think, is coming to a bit of a kumbaya within himself because he's been a very mobile and athletic quarterback, but he's 35 years old, but coming off a, obviously a major knee injury in Week One, he's been dealing with all season. He's not the same player he once was. I think he needs to get out of that mold of being fleet of foot and trying to escape the pocket all the time. He just doesn't have that step on defenders anymore. You have to look at what the Saints did with Drew Brees. Two years ago, he was 37 years old, and he was averaging 40-plus pass attempts a game. And Sean Payton said, wait a minute, we can't have our 35-plus-year-old quarterback dropping back this many times. We can't do it. So they changed philosophies. They bolstered up the offensive line. You got Ramchek. You got Andres Pete. You got Alvin Kamara. Now, all of a sudden, in the past few years, the Saints have been averaging 24 dropbacks a game. Completely changed the philosophy of the team. And that's what I would love to see this Packers team try to preserve the career of Aaron Rodgers by taking some of the pressure off him as a passer, that he doesn't have to shoulder the entire load of this offense, that we can change philosophies, bolster up the offensive line, maybe work this offense through an Aaron Jones instead of Aaron Rodgers, and preserve the career of 35-year-old Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and it it seems to me that I mean, you know, Aaron Jones is not a big step down from someone like Kareem Hunt or or Alvin Kamara or these you know these kind of dual threat, well balanced uh, running backs that the league is moving towards. I, I like it doesn't seem like that big a stretch to kind of put Aaron Jones into that role. You see that explosive trait every time he gets the ball. Except Kareem Hunt, Tariq Cohen, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, all those rookie backs last year were used differently in their offenses. They were used as dual threat backs. They were featured in the offense. And Aaron Jones wasn't featured, but I felt so strongly he had the ability and just as much of the ability as all those other running backs, but they were given the opportunities 
to use their skill set. And that's the change in focus and philosophy we've seen over the last five, six weeks in the Packers. And finally seeing Aaron Jones is a special player. He needs to be given opportunities to use that skill set and to be special. Just look at how these running backs are deployed across the NFL. We have a special running back. You've got to use them. Turn, uh, turning the page a little bit, based on what we saw from the Joe Philbin Packers uh, against the Atlanta Falcons, what do you think the odds are that this is a team that can actually win out the rest of the year? I mean, the Bears are a tough, a really tough challenge, but it's also a team that they already beat. So, you know, I'm not really sure. I went on ESPN Milwaukee about week four or five, and they said, what is your really real expectations for this team? And I said, this roster just isn't good enough. Yeah. And, and that was week four and week five. And we've now lost Wilkerson and Mike Daniels and a slew of some other, you know, pillar pieces. Obviously, Bulaga is not, not healthy and the, the patchwork offensive line at guard. I just feel like the roster has gotten more and more depleted. There's flashes of excellence because Devontae Adams is an excellent receiver and Aaron Jones is excellent. Aaron Rodgers is excellent. Kenny Clark, Clay Matthews, Jair. There's some talent on this team that can keep it afloat and flash potential and the flash big plays. But the collective and the consistency of this team, I just don't think is strong enough to compete with the top guns of the NFC. Even if they go and knock off of Chicago, I just don't see this team being strong enough to really compete down the stretch against the Rams and the Saints and the top teams in the NFC. But do you, I mean, do you really see, are they that far off from, say, Minnesota or Seattle or any of the teams that they have to make up ground on? This year, I think, would be tough. But collectively and just judging the roster and the way the organization is flowing, I don't think they're that far. And I think they've really turned the page with, you know, going and getting the corners in the draft last year and changing face at defensive coordinator and at GM. And now we just change head coach. I see the tide turning with the Packers. I just think it's more of a 18-month type of process to really change the script and get a new culture into that building. Hmm. So I'd like to see one more draft and to see what they can do with those two first-round picks, to see how Gunnikuns can maybe be aggressive in free agency once again, and maybe learning from his mistakes. You know, Maybe the uh, uh, Mercedes Lewis and the Jimmy Grahams and the Wilkerson signings didn't work out as you had hoped. So it's learning from those experiences, and I'll give him credit. He's done a decent job putting this the roster together and patchworking it together during the season much more aggressively than Ted Thompson had been, bringing in these players off the street, whether it's Ibrahim Campbell or Antonio Morrison or Brashad Breeland. He's constantly trying to improve the roster, even throughout the season, and I really respect that from a GM. That's another thing, too, about Petten, I think, is that when you look at what he's done after you know a couple of years of pretty empty cupboard drafts looking back on them. Uh, you know, I, I think a, a year or two of even just kind of average to slightly above average drafting will will do some good for this defense quite a bit. I also wanted to get your opinion as long as we're talking about sort of the top level, the top level brass uh, of the Packers. A lot has been made. Uh, there's been a lot of hand wringing among fans, and we've done a little bit on uh, of it on this show about the sort of the triumvirate, the the power dynamics between uh, Mark Murphy uh, vis-a-vis. Uh, everyone sort of reporting into him. And, and I, I wondered about getting, getting your take on, do you think that's overblown? If it's not, do you think it's a, a good or bad thing? What do you make of the way that um, Mark Murphy has sort of restructured the organization? To be perfectly honest with you, I don't have a whole lot of opinion on it. I see a lot of different perspectives and it's a unique organization in all sports. It's obviously there's no owner. 
and the, the franchise structure is a little bit unorthodox comparatively to how most you know professional sports teams are constructed. So it's easy to poke holes and to kind of look at it with an odd eye and say, what's going on with this team president kind of calling the shots? And um, it's interesting, and I look at it from afar, but I'm not really there on the day-to-day to know exactly what he's delegated and what responsibility he allows uh, or, you know, gives out throughout the building or how much he puts on himself to be the decision maker at the top of the organization. I know it's just a, it's a unique situation up in green Bay, but I don't have a whole lot of personal insight or opinion uh, as to, you know, if it's the right way to go, the wrong way to go or who he's giving responsibility to or not. Yeah. All right. Big thanks to Ben Fennell for joining us at Ben Fennell underscore NFL on Twitter. Again, if you're not following him on Twitter, if you're not reading his stuff at The Athletic, you are doing Packers fandom incorrectly, I would say. Always fills our head with knowledge. We are going to be back a little bit later in the week to preview the Bears game. So until then, for Ben Foldy, Alex Katakis, who is not here to defend himself, I am Zach Rapport signing off at the APC pod on Twitter. Give us a review and subscription on iTunes as well. That would be dandy. And uh, we'll talk to you guys in a couple days. Drink it down, drink it down, drink it down. A toast to Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.